Horatio Spafford uh, was a businessman from Chicago, and uh, he sent his wife and his three daughters to Europe, and at that time that he couldn't go with them, he stayed back in the States, but he was going to meet them later. And uh, what happened is that there was a terrible storm that came out on the sea, and it actually caused the ship to wreck, and all three daughters of Horatio drowned. Now, Mrs. Spafford did survive, and so she wired to Horatio later, and she said all three have been lost and only one is saved. And then uh, he took the next ship, and he came to the place where that ship had uh, wrecked, and the captain pointed out to her, uh, to him what had happened, where it was at. And that was the very moment that he sat down and wrote this. And you're probably familiar with this. When peace, like a river, attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. Three daughters he lost. And he could still write that. Now that's incredible. That's only by the strength of the Lord. The very peace of God was with him. He says, when peace like a river attendeth my way. Uh, see, everybody likes to have peace. Everybody strives for that. We, we pursue hotly for that. Have you ever noticed, though, it's so elusive? It seems so elusive sometimes. But, you know, we have a secret right here in this text today. The secret is right here. And it's not a secret because God reveals it to us. Um, if you may, we'll call it the uh, Philippian peace pill. These uh, verses here that we're dealing with. It's like a little tablet. A little bitty tablet that you can take and the outflow of it all will bring the peace of God in your heart. And that's what this little message that he has here. Matter of fact, the God of peace will be right there with you. He's right there immediately. And that's how amazing that God's peace is. Now, this chapter that uh, we are in, in chapter 4, started off with us being commanded to stand firm in the Lord. As he wrote to the Philippians, that message is to us too. He called them, my beloved. Stand firm. And so from the verses that proceed right out of that little verse there about standing firm, we get how we're able to stand firm. Uh, it's the theme that runs all the way through. And the next thing that we have is harmony, unity, as he mentioned the two ladies there, Yodia and Syntyche. You get unity, and then you also get rejoicing that you find in verse 4. Rejoice always. Everybody's familiar with that verse. As we proceed on down, we're all familiar with these verses. And then you notice also that the Lord is near in verse 4. And then we're not to worry, which we talked about last week. Be anxious for nothing. And then he talked about prayer. But in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And what will happen? Well, the peace of God, which surpasses all your comprehension, all your understanding, the peace of God then will guard your hearts. Will guard your mind, everything about you in Christ Jesus. The peace of God will just overflow. And that's how you become spiritually stable. 
when you're no longer worrying and you're rejoicing in the Lord, you're in unity, you're standing firm there. Uh, But Paul is not through because now he reaches what I think could be the climax of this section that we're dealing with. That it all culminates right here in verses 8 and verse 9. I think this is the major point that Paul is uh, addressing here. And it's for people to experience peace and joy and humility and unity and faith and gratitude. And to do that, we are to focus on godly virtues, which is what verse 8 is all about. If we can focus on these things right here, this is how your Christian life should be. And you'll be at peace no matter what's going on around you. So the writer, Horatio Spafford, uh, whether uh, he was thinking of these verses or not, he definitely was applying all of these. And he saw how um, God works in all this. Well, in verse 5, we get a negative there, verse 6, be anxious for nothing. Don't worry, right? There's the negative. Don't worry. Stop worrying. Don't even think about it, right? It's not even in your vocabulary. It's not even in your kind of thinking. That's what he's trying to say. Don't worry. So when you have a negative, you must complete that and fill it up with a positive. And that's what Paul does. He's going to replace, okay, I was worrying, what am I going to do now? Well, here's what you do. It's found in verse 8. And like I say, you probably have memorized this verse or have used it very many times, have read over it, especially in times of your life when uh, things were really bumpy, tough, hard, difficult. And you go to this verse and it is rather comforting. Um, We want to replace our negative command with a positive. And and because, when we look at this, this is not pop psychology here. (laughs) This is supernatural. And this is stuff that will work and that will last and that is eternal. Pop psychology can give you an answer real quick or try to. And, and uh, it's not going to be the answer, though. It's not going to be everlasting. To be victorious in our journey, we're Christian, like on Christian and Pilgrim's Progress. We're that pilgrim. We're on our journey. And we must be able to take negative thinking, like worrying, replace it with positive virtues, And so it's now a matter of overcoming worry, anxiety, problems, all that, extracting all of those, taking those out that have entered our mind. They're going to enter your mind throughout your walk, and so here's what you do. Paul is just saying, here's what I want you to do. Stop this and do this. Pretty simple, isn't it? But yet, it's it's very profound, and if people would, would be able to practice this through the power of God's Spirit, it's amazing what kind of peace we can have. Um, so, and you know what? It's actually a choice that you make to do, though. It's even though it's the power of God, it's something that you decide. Either you're going to worry, or you're not going to worry. And then you're going to replace that with these godly virtues. That's really what it is. And if you decide to continue to worry, then you will continue to worry. You will disobey what these verses here say. And now we're stewing about something and feeling terrible about it, and we make it even worse as it goes on. And Paul says, here's how it is to be. If you, and here's like the theme of the day if you choose to think right, 
you will have right living. Simple as that. If you think correctly, you think on the right things, then your living will be right also. Right thinking, right living. Right? So, that's what we're going to hit with. And uh, let's uh, read Philippians 4, verse 8 and 9. We'll give you a chance to stretch and we'll just uh, stand and honor God's Word as we uh, read this valuable, precious section right here in Philippians 4, verse 8. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence, and if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. The things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Lord, thank You for being the God of peace and thank You for giving us such precious wisdom in how we can live our Christian lives so that it will honor You and it's good for us. In Jesus' name, Amen. Alright, ready? You ready to put your thinking hats on? <laughs> right thinking. Right, right thinking. Here's the importance of using the mind. So important to use our minds as Christians. He starts off with finally. He's summing it up, really. He's taking those verses, starting at verse 1, and he gets up to verse 8 and he says, okay, now, you do 1 plus 1 plus 1 plus 1 plus 1. Here's what we have. Here's the sum of all this. This is where it's all headed. This is the sunum bonum. We spent weeks on this, this area, this chapter, and here it is. This is where it's all leading. And this is the Christian life, isn't it? This is really where the rubber meets the road. He sums it up, hitting this climax... Standing firm is a result of how we think. If we're going to stand firm, it's going to be how we think. Now the reason I say that is um, he gives virtues in verse 8. He says, dwell on these things. Think on these things. Let your mind concentrate on these things. Think. Be thinking. And that's where he has arrived. Now I talked about psychology. And people go there by the droves. These guys make tons of money, psychiatrists and such, for people to tell them their problems. And I don't really know if they really offer any real answers. They offer them medicine. But they don't really tell them how they can really have their lives change and be thinking eternally. They have a little quick fix, but it really doesn't really matter. Uh, the certain terms that they put on people today, some are legitimate, not ruling everything out, you guys know that, but the schizophrenics, the manic depressives, everything. They, they put a tag on all, everybody can have a tag put on. And um, granted, there can be physical ailments that really do cause some things in the mind. We know that. Um, so I'm not, I'm not stupid about that, but I'm thinking that it's overused and abused in uh, some of the answers. The world outside the Bible, they're trying to tell us things, and why would we want to listen to people outside that are not Christians on things that are eternal spiritual matters, why would we want to invest our lives and money money into people 
who just sit there and listen and uh, you lay on the couch and whatever. Do they still do that? And then they come back next week and then they pay them more money. They just keep doing that and they still have the same problem. I'm going, why? Why, why, do you, why would you do that? All the psychosis that they, you know, that they have. And, and most of the answer is, you must look deep into the past. Get inside yourself and go to find that old garbage. Okay, well, it sounds like, hey, you know, go back and look at your sin, right? Get back on the path here, right? Um, but is that really biblically correct? Are we to just go in there and examine ourselves? Well, that's what psychology is. It's suke. It's a study of the soul. God says, who can know it? The mind is desperately wicked. The soul is desperately wicked. Who can know it? Right? Only God. Only God knows really what's on the inside. And as He exposes His Word to us, we start to see what our real problem is. And it's usually sin. (laughs) Do they ever talk about that? You ever heard of those psychiatrists talk about, well, it's a sin problem. Not always is that it, but more than likely, that's that's the problem. God's Word, if you read God's Word, it's amazing what it can do for you. <laughs> you look in the Psalms and so we see how David dealt with that and all the depression. Everybody goes through depression. Those kind of things. But right here, we get our answer. We're told to think a certain way and that's the way to peace. He's already said, uh, the God of peace in, in uh, verse 9. And then last week, we talked about the, the peace of God, right? The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding. And then he finishes in verse 9 with the, the God of peace. <laughs> he is the source of it all. He is peace, right? So he says this, Finally, brethren. And then I've got underneath there, do I have think on these things? I didn't put that there, but I, uh, yeah, I did. We're commanded to think. And you say, are you reading into the text? Well, no, because that's what this whole thing is about. Dwell on these things. Think on these things. Some translations will even say. The word there is logizomai. Logizomai. And it's dealing with evaluate this. Ascertain this. uh, Consider this. Be thinking on this kind of thing. Here's what you do. You, You say you want to have the peace of God. Well, do this. Think on these things. So that means we're to use our mental faculties. This is the greatest gift that God has given us. The mind. There's nothing else in creation that has a mind like humans. You are the product of your thoughts. Did you know that? You are the product of your thoughts. What you think is what you are. It's not what you think you are. There is psychology in Scripture, but it's God's Word. And sometimes some people of the world do grab some things of truth and put it in, and they, then they, what, they mix it with what? Man thinking, and that's where we run into trouble. There are some really good helps, but guess where it really comes from? And I've talked to Penny over this many times, and I'm not ever getting at her. She knows what I'm saying. She knows, as a matter of fact, you'd agree wholeheartedly in the sense that really it all comes from here. Now, in some settings, even though you know some people can be Christians and still do that kind of work, and it's fantastic, it's great counsel, but it would probably be best not to say Scripture because you're not paid to use that. 
so uh, if you're in a setting where you do that, where it's straight biblical counsel, okay, you can say here's where this comes from. But if it's something that says uh, you can't use the Bible here, okay, well you can still use biblical biblical procedure, which is some of the same things that they're using out in the world. Only this is going to point absolutely to the truth and not going to lead them off the path. Um, so there is a lot of thinking here using the mental faculties, but what you think is what you are. Uh, you're not what you think you are, though. See, if when we start looking at Scripture, we're not as good as what we think we are, but we're not as bad as we could be. <laughs> but we see a great holy God, and we see that we still are far short of His standards. I want to be holy like God. See, that takes us up a different, higher level now, doesn't it? To be like Christ, because we have the power of the Holy Spirit living in us. Now that changes things. That qualifies it. I'll just tip myself up and I'll try to do better. And people do better. They really grit their teeth and they do better for a while. For a while. Look at Isaiah 118. It's about reasoning. It's about using the mind. It's about uh, people coming together and thinking. And here God calls people to come together to actually think. Come now and let us reason together, says the Lord. Here's what He says. Though your sins are as scarlet, you are bloody guilty. (laughs) They will be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they will be like wool. If you consent and obey, you will eat the best of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you'll be devoured by the sword. Truly, the mouth of the Lord has spoken. One or the other. Wow. Incredible. Let us reason. You know, Christianity is a very reasonable faith. Everything can make sense. Although with a depraved mind, it doesn't make sense. But there are things... There's archaeology. There's scientific discoveries. There are uh, all sorts of things that are out there that um, actually meet the intellect sometimes. And people start thinking about, well, that's true there, that's true. Let's look at Psalm 32, verse 8 and 9. I will instruct you and teach you in the way which you should go. I'm going to instruct you. I'm going to teach you. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. And he says, don't be like this. Don't be as a horse or as a mule, which have no understanding. They have no understanding, right? They don't understand. Whose trappings include bit and bridle to hold them in check. (laughs) Otherwise, they will not come near to you. You have to train them and you have to use these particular tools. He says, don't be like them. He says, you have a mind. You can understand. This is, this is what God wants. He wants us to reason. It's a battle for the mind. That's our problem. That's our struggle in this life. Believers sometimes seem to be losing at this present moment. They're losing the battle of the mind because Satan can't rob you of salvation. Amen, right? He cannot take that. So what does he want to do with Christians then? He wants to rob them of peace and joy, love, whatever. 
He, he wants to take that from them, which is a fruit of the Spirit. And so this is a great battle that we have. It's a, it's a battle with negative, evil thoughts that are there. If you start trying to go inside and weeding out those thoughts and you try to do it yourself, what happens as soon as you pop one thing down, up another lump comes, you get that, and then over here another lump comes up, I'm getting I'm taking care of this thing, boom, another thing comes up. You know, and it's boom, boom, here they go. It just keeps going. And if we try to tackle it the way that the world tries to say it, you know, and get your you know yourself to be able to do this on your own, Paul is not saying don't wrestle. I mean, Paul is, is, is actually saying, don't wrestle with your thoughts. Now, that may sound contradictory, but hang on. Don't wrestle with your thoughts, but replace the negative thoughts, your worry, your anxiety, as he's appealing to here, and replace them with godly virtues. Positive. That's what he's saying. You don't have to go back and say, I wonder, I wonder if it was a certain sin that I did back there about 25 years ago and that's my problem now. And you start digging in there. You know, God has already told us in Philippians, forget what lies behind. Right? Press on towards the goal of the upward call of Jesus Christ. That is over and done with. God, God has forgiven it. You are, you're a Christian now. Don't deal with that anymore. It's done. Now, if you want to use it in a testimony and say, well, here's where I was at and here's how evil I was, but here's what God did to you know, take me out of that. But don't dwell on it. He says, dwell on these things. Think on these kind of things, right? Go to Romans 12, 1 and 2. Oh, the battle for the mind. The enemy is using so many different ways. You look at society today and it tells you so many different things. What does God say? Therefore, after 11 chapters of doctrine, great Romans doctrine, therefore I urge you, I come alongside, I'm telling you, brethren, by the mercies of God, present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world. It's trying to squeeze you into its mold, right? Here we go. But be transformed by the renewing of your what? Mind. So that you may prove what the will of God is. That which is good and acceptable and perfect. You be transformed. Don't be conformed to what the world says and does and it so easily entangles us He says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to be transformed. You're transformed on a daily basis by the Word of God. The renewing of your mind. We are new creatures in Christ and we have to renew that new man. Renew it with the Word of God. Isn't that incredible? After all that doctrine, what does he first start off with? Right here. Here's how you can be a sacrifice, a living sacrifice. Not like the animals that they had. You are now the sacrifice. And here's how you do this. Renew your mind. Isn't that great? Renew your Think. Think. Oh, how people hate to think today. But you guys are not that way, right? Most of you guys read books and always reading and thinking on things. Right? Okay. Second Corinthians chapter 10. 
I know, sometimes after a long, hard day at work, <laughs> I'd rather just sit back and not think about something for a little while, right? And sometimes that's kind of good to rest. Here's one. What do you think about when you're not thinking? <laughs> what do you think about when you're not doing anything, right? Second Corinthians 10.5. Here's the battle, folks. Here's the battle. Start in verse 4. How about verse 3? How about verse 1? <laughs> Let's do verse 3. For though we walk in the flesh, right here, this, I mean, we are incarcerated in these bodies, right? For though we walk in the flesh, and it's not saying we're walking in the flesh spiritually, it's a, it's a physical thing. Here's where we're at. We're bound by this. This is where we're at. We're humans. But divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. What kind of fortresses? We are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God. Boy, can you see that out in the world? Political realm. And we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. And we're ready to punish all disobedience whenever your obedience is complete. What's going on here? Think about your mind here. Just you yourself. We have divinely uh, have been empowered to take down fortresses. Things that we have built up, our thinking, stuff that we learned in high school, stuff we learned in college, stuff we learned on TV, the movies, all the stuff that the world is hitting us, and some things are true, some things are false. and I mean, You've got a whole bunch of things in here and here's what you've been conformed with. Do not be conformed to the world, right? Ooh, we're supposed to be transformed. All this stuff right here and the more you get into God's Word and the more you hear the preaching of it, boom, there goes one part of the foundation of that fortress. Boom, there goes another big stone out of that fortress. Boom, another one is taken out. All of a sudden you believe in a six-day creation. Boom, another stone is taken out. You believe... I mean, certain things you believe. Now you're thinking a different way than you did 20 years ago. Those fortresses are being shot down and you're the one who's doing it by reading the Word of God and God's Word and His Spirit coming in and blowing those things away one by one. Man, every lofty thing that was raised against God. We all have those. We've had things that were against God. And we say, that wasn't against God. Now we look at it and we go, oh, wow, that was, wasn't it? Look at the selfishness that I have. We're constantly working on that. Look at my anger. All those things. And we're to be looking at the Word and firing missile shots at these fortresses. It's against the the knowledge of God. The knowledge of God, right? Knowledge, thinking. We're to take every thought captive. See, this is a... Paul's writing to the Corinthians and they knew what those big fortresses were built up on the uh, mountains, up on the bluffs, maybe overlooking the the sea. And um, the enemies would come up there and start firing. Well, he knew what that was about. That's what we have going on in our minds. That's where the battle is. The battle is for the minds. Something else about Christianity. 
It's different than any other religion, any other belief system in all the world. It is distinctive because it is rational and it is something that makes sense. Christianity is a revelation of truth. No other religions have a revelation from God. Some of them may claim it. My, they have errors, huge errors that are laughable. Whether it be Hinduism, they have their own writings. You can look at the Quran. It has all sorts of errors in it in its reporting. You can go on and on. Look at any religion you want. Whatever their basis is. Uh, and uh, it, it's not a revelation of truth. It's a revelation of some man thinking that it's some kind of revelation that's special. But Christianity offers things that are historical. And there have been things found in the 1800s, in the 1900s, and even today. It's archaeological, accurate. And we come to find out names that are mentioned in the Bible, places that are mentioned in the Bible that people used to say, see, there's the Bible's problem. See, there's no place like that that exists. And then they uncover these cities. They uncover these names on these almost like monuments and things. And we find out that those names are the ones that were mentioned in the Bible and nowhere else. Hey, we have truth. If there is a religion in the world which exalts the office of teaching, it's Christianity. It teaches It's constantly teaching. We never have enough of Scripture, do we? You can't get bored of God's Word because every time you read it, it's fresh and it's new and it says something that you never thought of before. Or you hear a teaching, you hear a preaching on it, you go, wow, I never thought of that. That's interesting. Wow. This is really impacting. The the chief thing in pagan religions and all other religions is ritual. They have some kind of a ritual that it revolves around rather than the revelation of truth. When we come here, what is the focus that we're going to be on? God's glory, which is known by His Word. Right? They go together. That's how, do, how do we know who He is? How do we know God's glory? How do we know this God of the Bible? We get into it and find out. It teaches us there. It does contain doctrine, teaching all over the place. It claims to be the truth That's something. The truth. Not just some truth. The truth. Things make sense in Christianity, don't they? At first you go, whoa, that sounds the opposite of the way I'm thinking. Yeah, that's because fortresses are being shot down and say, huh, I never thought of it that way. This is what I was always thinking it was. This is what I was taught that it was. And then you look in Scripture and you see other Scriptures support that and you go, wow, I've got to relook at this. This is amazing. It's not mindless. It's very deep. Matter of fact, it makes you want to search things because I don't understand this. This sounds contradictory. And then the more you look at it, you'll find out that God just doesn't put out something like baby books to us. We get to know the mind of God in here. And we start thinking like He does, not thinking like humans. And all of a sudden it starts opening up in places that we never thought of before. Has that ever happened to you? The theology of thinking. Here's the theology of it. You won't hear this out in the world. And if somebody says something, you will be mocked and you will be 
criticized and ridiculed. But here's what the Bible tells us. God created Adam and Eve. We believe such a story absolutely. He gave them minds. He gave them such minds that are higher thinking than what ours are today. Uh, Unfortunately, what happened is that sin came in as disobedience was practiced by Adam and Eve and their minds became affected as everything else in man and in creation was. It was marred by sin. When we see what Scripture says about us, we see that there is nothing good in man, as Scripture says. I didn't make it up, right? There's nothing good there. Our thinking, we can come up with amazing things. You you can have Einsteins and you have all these great thinkers and all the technology that has happened. It's amazing that God would allow us to even think. You know, but he he gets us. But still, yet on the spiritual level, man does not have that natural to himself anymore. That is what is really marred. Made such an effect, it takes a supernatural power from without ourselves to think in the way that God thinks. To think higher than a human. Here's what the Bible says. <laughs> Don't you love to do that? Here's what the Bible says. Now, if you sit out and out in the world and go, oh, yeah. You know, they'll, they'll listen to all the other stuff. And it, but here's what the Bible says. Who's oh, that guy? Here's what the Bible says. Oh, here's what the Bible says. Boy, this is hard. And just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer... God gave them over to a depraved mind to do those things which are not possible. And of course, it starts giving an example of all the unrighteousness and wickedness and such, and it leads to you know, the thinking of, he's already explained it, homosexuality and all that stuff. All the stuff that's going on in our world today, just horrible stuff. God gave them over to that. He says, okay, that's what you want. You got it. There you go. Have at it. Have a good time. Okay, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4. We were originally designed to think like God. Not to be God, but to think on those great high thoughts. And that's what we're trying to recover. 2 Corinthians 4, 4. In whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds... That's what we're talking about, isn't it? blinded the minds of the unbelieving so that they may not, might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. Satan blinds their minds. They can't think the way that God wants them to think. They can't see spiritual things. So they are depraved by God. They're blinded by Satan. And we look in Ephesians 4.17. Boy, this is not popular stuff. This is really where we were at before we became Christians. This is what happened at the fall. And ever since then, man was affected tremendously in the way that he thinks. 4.17 So this, I say, and affirm together with the Lord. Here's what I'm saying. Here's what the Lord is saying. 
that you walk no longer just as the Gentiles also walk. What? In the futility of their mind. Being darkened in their understanding. There again, it's said again. Can you see why Paul is not liked by a lot of people? Can you see why they even call him a bigot and other such things? And here he's saying they're blinded. Uh, They're darkened in their understanding. They're futile in their minds. Now what have we had so far? Depraved, blinded, vain or empty. Their minds are empty. Don't you be like the Gentiles, like what you used to be. Ephesians, you were Gentiles. And the way that you carried on and lived your lives was despicable. And now... You're a total different person. You're not going to live that way anymore. Don't be like that. Be like this. First okay? uh, Corinthians chapter two verse fourteen. First Corinthians two fourteen. All about the mind. Look at this. But a natural man. That's one who has not been converted. That is one who is in his sin, does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. For they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they're spiritually appraised. They cannot, and they will not. It's foolishness. They don't accept the things of God. An unbeliever says, that's for wimps. That's not even true. It's foolishness. It's ridiculous. And you have those those atheists who write all those books and get in the the New York Times bestsellers. Number one of all things, people eat those books up. And they are really out after the Christians now. And uh, they they call us names. I mean, (laughs) we're fools to even have a belief like this. But see, they, they can't understand the things of God. Wow. That's the theology of the thinking. That's where it starts, doesn't it? If we get that right, other things fall right into place. If we see how depraved man is, we say, well, I don't understand you know, about those people over there. You know, those people on that desert isle and such. Yeah, that's they're the same way that we were. It's going to take a supernatural thing from God that's going to bring them to the truth, otherwise they're not going to discover it on their own. They're going to continue to sin against Him because that's what they want to do. That's what they enjoy doing. And that's what they would want to do forever. That's just that kind of thinking. But when we become Christians, we start to think on things of God, right? Everybody, anybody that becomes a Christian, they start thinking on spiritual things. They're thinking on things that they never thought about before. Maybe they thought they were thinking on things of God. And all of a sudden, God is a lot different than who they thought He was. Oh, you mean the biblical God. Yes, I really am amazed. Uh, I never thought of Him that way. He's transcendent, isn't He? He's mighty. We, We can have the mind of Christ. Oh, man, I love 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Are you still there? It, it shows what the mind is of the natural man. This is the theology of thinking, isn't it? We get this right, but most of the world doesn't know this. Do you know of all the billions of people, 7 billion people in the world, and 1 to 2 billion profess to be Christians at, at the most? 
And we know that there aren't that many because a lot of them are just religious and they show up at church or whatever church is and be cults and stuff. So that really you know, shrinks down. Most of the people in the world can't think the way that Christians think. 1 Corinthians 2, 11-13. Most of them are depraved and uh, they don't accept the things of God. Now, verse... Uh, 11. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the spirit of man which is in him? Even so, the thoughts of God no one knows except the spirit of God. How can anybody know the things of God except the spirit of God? Okay, you know what you're thinking. Man knows what he's thinking. And who can really go in there and know their thoughts, right? But... Then he says, okay, uh, even much more. Who can really know what God thinks? And what he says. In verse 12 he says, Now we have received, not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God. He's come down, made His residence in us. We can know Him. So that we may know the things freely given to us by God. Which things we also speak. Not in words taught by human wisdom. What we're talking about today, what we've been singing about, what we've been praying, what we've been reading. It didn't come from man. Not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the Spirit. Combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. We now can think like God and now we can use God's Word. What a powerful transition that happens to a natural man. That's what 1 Corinthians 2 is about. That's overwhelming. That is one of my favorite chapters in the Bible. To know that some meaningless person like me can actually know heavenly things? What right do I have to start thinking about truths of heaven and God? The Trinity. I don't have any rights. But God decided, hey, in Christ, I freely give that to you. It's all given to every one of us who trust in Christ. (laughs) Is that mind-blowing? Unbelievable. Faith is logical. If you stop thinking negatively and you start thinking positively, now that sounds like regular psychology. Stop thinking negatively. Start thinking positively. But here is the positives that are given in our text. We must spend more time in studying our Lord's lessons because there's the wisdom of all of God that He's just desiring to just spill all over us and that we can know more about this and know less of that stupid, meaningless stuff out there. Ah. Look in Matthew 6.25. It's going back to kind of like what we were talking about last week. Don't, do not be anxious for anything. For this reason I say to you, do not be worried about your life. Okay, there's your negative thought, right? Right? 
And then he's, uh, later on in that verse, it says, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? And then he uses the birds in 26. How about verse 27? And who of you, by being worried, can add a single hour to his life? Do not be anxious. Worried. Why are you worried about clothing? Okay, he says, here's what I want you to think on. Just look out there and look at the lilies of the field. Who do you think gave them those colors and all that they had? Look at the clothing that they have. They are, you know, they don't even work at it. They just, boom, they come out there and that's the way it is. And they don't even spin. And uh, compares it to Solomon didn't have that kind of glory in his clothing. Um, is it verse 31? Says, do not worry. Then he says again, saying, "What will we eat? Then what will we live? You know, how are we going to do this? What will we wear for clothing?" For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. If you know who He is, He knows what you need. Has He ever let you down? Have you ever gone a day without clothing? Did you ever go to work naked? I mean, because you didn't have any clothes. He has always taken care of you. Clothes. Matter of fact, I don't think anybody here has ever starved. Starved to death. He's always taking care of that, right? Boy, I have to remind myself of these things. Oh, yeah. I started thinking, well, yeah, but what if this could happen? <laughs> oh, stop doing that. What if, but what if this could happen? He says, do not be anxious for me. Yeah, but, 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 what does he say? Start thinking on these things. He knows you need all these things. The Father knows this. But seek first His kingdom and His righteousness and all these things will be added to you. He's going to do that. And don't worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will care for itself. <laughs> Each day has enough trouble of its own. Yeah. You know what? We could charge $500 an hour to people and tell them the truth of what it's all about right there, couldn't we? Right there is enough. <laughs> That's thinking on some pretty good things, isn't it? Yeah, it's just that kind of thinking, right? Boy, the mind of Christ. Look in Colossians 3.10. Amazing stuff. And you have put on the new self who is being renewed to a, I like this, a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. It's not according to some other thought, some human thinking of, you go, where did they get that at? And it says, I've got something better. Here, this is a true knowledge. And I'll show you how true it is. It's according to the image of the One who created Him. Wow. Look at Ephesians 4.23. Boy, this is stuff we can take home, right? And that you be renewed in the spirit of your what? Mind. We're looking at the theology of the mind. It's incredible. You start looking at that, and folks, we could spend months, we could spend years on the study of the mind right here in Scripture. It just goes on and on and on and on and on about using our minds, our thinking. Don't let the world make you think the way that it is. Look at the birds. Think about them. Draw your deductions. Jesus said. Look at the grass. Look at all the lilies of the field. Consider 
the trouble with most people is that they won't consider that. Instead of doing this, they sit down and ask, well, what's going to happen to me? (laughs) What can I do? And that's the absence of thinking. They're asking questions, but they're not asking the right questions. They've already defeated. We've already defeated ourselves. I've defeated myself. What what, what am I going to do? We have to think in a Christian manner. We have to remind ourselves of this. this. This text is so rewarding. And it's so encouraging. But you know, I've seen a lot of conviction in this text this week. <laughs> it's really trusting God. Well, what's going to happen? Christian manner is the very essence of faith. You wake up in the morning, you have a choice of what you're going to think about. And when you wake up in the morning, sometimes you probably don't even feel like thinking. <laughs> Your mind doesn't even want to function, you know. And you start thinking all the things that have to happen throughout the day. Yeah, we have to think about that. When you get up in the morning, your mind is like a fertile field. And if you start putting thoughts in there, you start planting thoughts, and you have bad thoughts in there. And by the time you get to noon, all those weeds have come up in there, and your day is shot. I mean, this is a bad day, right? Oh, we've had all these negative thoughts, We've not put any really good thoughts in there and it's all full of weeds. And we're done. (laughs) We're shot for the day. But if you start making the right choice, you start saying, I'm going to think on these things when you get up in the morning. Now you're starting to plant good seeds and what you sow there is what you're going to get. And by lunchtime, you're going to have a harvest. You're going to have a harvest of good thoughts and there will not be any room for weeds whatsoever. You ever had some of those days? Those are nice, aren't they? Does that make sense? Faith. Martin Lloyd-Jones says, Faith... You ready for something really powerful here? Faith is thinking. There's a good thing about thinking. Faith is thinking. That's what Martin Lloyd Jones says. He says, Faith, if you like, can be defined like this. It's a man insisting upon thinking when everything seems determined to bludgeon and knock him down in an intellectual sense. The trouble with the person of little faith is that instead of controlling his own thought, you already have the answer, don't you? His thought is being controlled by something else. Either we control the thinking or we let something else out here control the thinking. Our worrying now controls the thinking. We're thinking of the future. Bill Hull wrote a book called Right Thinking. That's pretty good, right? 1985. He says, what scares me is the anti-intellectual, anti-critical thinking philosophy that has spilled over into the church. The church is not thinking. This philosophy tends to romanticize the faith, making the local church into an experience center. In our time, in our lifetimes, this is what happened to the body of Christ. The concept of church is that they are spiritual consumers and that the church's job is to meet their felt needs. Not bad, huh? Back in 85. What's happening in the church is that people are going to church not to think, not to reason about the truth. They're not like the noble Bereans to search the Scriptures to see what is true, but they're going in there to get a weekly spiritual fix a weekly spiritual high so that they can feel that God is still with them. 
spiritually unstable because they live on feelings rather than what truth says. What we're just preaching about this morning, this is not about feelings. This is about what we're thinking. And as we react upon that thinking, then eventually the feelings do come in there. And yes, you feel love and joy and peace. But it's because of what you think, what you hear, what you digest and take into your own life. We must not be a victim of our feelings. Psychology. Our own thinking is all about feelings. And it will go up and it can go down as quick as it went up. Biblical meditation. What is it? That sounds like New Age, Dennis. Biblical meditation. I'll tell you what it's not. There's such misunderstanding today about meditation. It's not about emptying the mind. No, you fill your mind with truth. You're filled with the Word of God. You're filled with the Spirit. Right? But you don't empty your mind. New age, that's what they say. Empty your mind and let something else come in. Yeah, just take the window and open it wide open and let anything just come on and fly on into your minds. Right? No, you need to put that screen up. Hmm. The problem is not that God hasn't spoken. It's that we don't listen. He's already spoken. It's right here. We don't listen. God has spoken to us very clearly. We need to think on that. And then we're to dwell on that. It connects the mind and the will. The head and the heart. They come together. Truth has worked down deep into our very soul and now it becomes a part of us. Not just something intellectually, but now we desire to live it. It's what we desire. Now, what are those things that we're to be thinking on? Can you believe this? We're going to get back to the text. Are you ready? Whatever is true, honorable, right, pure, lovely, good repute, excellence, praise. Dwell on these things. What are we to cultivate? These are are godly virtues. They are, the Puritans call them the affections. Jonathan Edwards wrote a book called Religious Affections. Excellent. That's some of the stuff that we're talking about here. Truth. Everyone is running around not looking for the truth. But they're looking for what? They're looking for the next experience. Why do people take drugs? Because they want to get the next experience. Experience. They want to get the next high. And you've got to get up a little bit higher the next time to beat that because now that's kind of wore off. Emotions. They're looking for feelings. That's what people are after. They want that. And that's why they go to church because they don't get that feeling. They might have heard the Word of God preached in a very expository and a powerful way, but they said, oh, I didn't get anything out of that. What were they looking for? The Word of God is right here. Even a poorly preached sermon, if it's using the Word of God, should be able to speak to us anyway. It's not what we're trying to get out though anyway. What are we here for? To worship God. And we do that by letting His Word come into us and we can effectively now worship Him because we worship in what? Spirit and in truth. Whatever is real, reality in God's terms. John 17, 17, truth. He says, think on these things. Think on what is true. Uh, Jesus, in His great prayer, 
sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. His word is truth. Ephesians 4.21 If indeed you have heard Him and have been taught in Him, that's Christ, just as truth is in, what's the word say? Jesus. There's where you found real truth, isn't it? If indeed you've heard Him, you've been taught on Him just as truth is in Jesus, thy word is truth, Jesus is truth. 2 Timothy 2.25 This is truth. With gentleness, correcting those who are in opposition, if perhaps God may grant them repentance, leading to the knowledge of the truth. We give them the gospel. God may grant them, give them repentance. Repentance doesn't come from a black and darkened mind. It can't. But God may grant them the repentance and the faith, which will lead to the knowledge of the truth. And this is Paul writing to Timothy. Honorable. What is honorable? Worthy of respect. Noble. Reverent. Whatever is in high regard. Whatever is right, whatever is in perfect harmony with the standard of God, it lines up with His standards. Be thinking on that. The righteousness of God. Whatever is pure, that means morally clean, undefiled. Bishop Lightfoot wrote this, uh, he translated it, whatever is stainless. There's no stains. Pure. There are certain things when you put them into your mind, it's hard rubbing that stain off. Stains can be there. The way that men morally collapse is that they take in an inner thought life, some evil things come in their thoughts and they harbor it and now they have impure thoughts and it destroys the moral defenses of the mind. And they have temptation then to do the actual thing that is in their minds. And so they meet that and then they fall. And you've seen many fallen leaders in the Christian church that that has happened. Impurity or the stains. Whatever is lovely, that's pleasing. Whatever is attractive, generous. 1 Corinthians 13, the chapter of love. Whatever is lovely. Whatever is of good repute. Whatever is highly regarded, well thought of, winsome. Think on that kind of thing. Whatever is excellent. Where is the excellencies found? The excellencies, the majesty, the supremacy, where is that at? It's all in Christ. And praise, primarily things that God estimates uh, as good things to think about. Anything of praise. So Paul says, pour these things into your mind and they'll start pushing out the negative things. When your positive things come in of these godly virtues, guess what? The negative things just start taking off. They get out of there. The worst imaginable thoughts are gone because pure good thoughts came in. The Puritans meditated on six great things. God's Word, the majesty of God, the severity of sin, the beauty of Christ, the certainty of death, the finality of judgment. They always tried to get that in their writings and their sermons. 
Those are six key things. Those are are things to to think about. Yeah. What about even when I'm reading my Bible, I'm down on my knees praying, and I'm at the Lord's table, uh, I'm in church, and one of the worst imaginable thoughts just came to my mind. Where in the world did that come from? I don't even want that to be there. Has that ever happened? I mean, you start thinking things, you know, what's going to happen today, and all of a sudden your mind is off God's Word. Sure it does. It happens. Start pouring in the good thoughts. As soon as you catch yourself thinking on something else, start bringing in a good thought. Like, you know, go to a scripture real quick, or some scripture that was just read, and boom, go right to that. Second Corinthians ten five. Bring into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Right there is how you beat all this. This is how you beat this. This is how you get uh, the the peace that we need. We're about done here. Our desires need to be directed. They need to go to the right direction. And so Paul says this. Okay, if you have these right thoughts, you know what? You're going to live right. You are going to live the way that God wants. You, you, you have to have godly thoughts before you can do godly deeds. If you're thinking the right thing, then you will do the right thing. How did Paul show the Philippians how to live a Christian life? Well, he says it here. We're going to go through this rapidly. Philippians 4, we're right at the end of verse 9. The things you've learned, this is real simple. The things you've learned. That's one thing that he says. I want you to know, you saw a real flesh and blood person thinking these things and doing these things. His name was Paul. He's saying, you saw me. You saw that. This is how you get the direction. So what he does now, he says, you want to know how to live? You want to know how to live the Christian life? Well, the things that you learn. And by the way, at that time, he didn't say, well, let's turn, let's turn to Philippians chapter 4. Because they didn't have that you know, as he went into different places. They didn't have the New Testament. He couldn't go there. He says, what you've learned, you know, okay, what you've learned is Matates, uh, learner. Paul taught in public. Paul taught house to house. Paul taught individually. He discipled in many different ways. He explained how to live the Scripture. Whatever way he could do it, he did it. He, they learned that. How to live the Scripture. He explained. I mean, that's, he says, the things you've learned, the things you've received. Paul, I think here, has in mind the received word. Not what he taught them in explaining and expounding the Scripture, but what God gave him directly. The Holy Spirit gave him Scripture. He received that. So he says, what you have learned from me, from my teaching, and what you've received, what I received, and then you received that, and then he says, heard, this is what they've heard from other sources about himself. Even when he was away, people would be talking about Paul. His reputation was impeccable. His character, his lifestyle, his preaching, it all was stuff that uh, was a great example for others. And then Paul says, what you've seen. You've seen my life. You've observed it. You've checked it out. I've been with you. You've been with me. I want you to practice these things. Now, we just went over those four words real quick, didn't we? But it's real simple. The things you've learned, received, heard, you've seen of me, I want you to practice these things. A doctor has a practice, right? He keeps on doing it. He's not rehearsing for something. He's doing it, isn't he? That's his practice. So that's what we are to do. To practice these things. To do these things. 
was that Alan Iverson said, practice, <laughs> practice. But our practice is something that is our life, what we do. And we finish with this. And the God of peace will be with you. Listen, you do this, God makes a guarantee. God makes a promise. When God promises something, He is always, not 99%, but 100% accurate on those promises. Here's what He guarantees. The God of peace will be with you. You looking for the peace of God? Well, here's the God of peace. He's the source. He's ready to just pour it on you. And when you think you're running out, He's got more. And He just wants to keep dumping more into you. The peace of God. And we've seen how we, we, have seen how we get that. How can you know the peace of God? How, how can we be tran, tranquil? How can we be calm in the midst of all these temptations and onslaughts and doubts and fears? You've had those this week. I've had them. They come. It's the, it's the, it's the walk. It's part of that. But we have to... We have to police them. We have to discipline our life. We go back to Scripture and say, oh yeah, according to God's pattern, here's what I'm supposed to be thinking. I'm thinking thinking the wrong way here. No wonder things are going haywire. We must be disciplined to add to our faith virtue. Remember in, in Peter, add to your faith virtue, conduct, patterns of life, practices of righteousness. This makes us able to be content in the circumstances that are overwhelming. Peace like a river attendeth my way. It's not just about praying. That's important. It's not just about reading, studying. But after that, it's the way you think. It's how you think will determine your actions. And when you think on these things, you'll be anxious for nothing. You'll pray about everything. And you are thankful for anything when you think on these things and do the will of God. God will bless that. The God of peace will be with you. Amen.